Father, we pray now that you will soften our hearts and prepare us as we hear your word and hear Duncan's preaching. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Jim. Our Bible reading is taken from chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from, the, from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Oprah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of her people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return, from the, return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, No, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? No, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you really wait until they grew? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to go back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if ever, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they, until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? No, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made me my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that this is your word to us. Uh, help us now, Lord, help us as we read it together, as we reflect on it. Father, give us hearts that are soft before you. Uh, give us the ability to understand this, uh, Lord, and give us um, wills that are ready to obey you. And we, we pray all of this for your glory. We thank you that we can only come to you uh, through your grace and that you have showered your grace on us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Father, we pray your help now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, the story of the um, Jesus story of the prodigal son, I was talking to someone this morning about the prodigal son story. It's probably one of the best known stories in the Bible, right? The prodigal son story, the story of the wayward son who goes into the far country uh, only to kind of come back. He, he ends up in poverty out there and re, he returns to his father's house. Um, but most of us will be pretty familiar with that kind of story. But it taps into a kind of a pattern of, of going away and coming back, of leaving and returning. That's really part of our everyday life for all of us. We, we, we leave home to come to church and we go back. We, we leave home to go to school or work or out to sport on Saturday or wherever it is. We eventually wind our way home. As someone with a hopeless sense of direction, I have struggled with this though at times. Uh, we've moved house a lot over the last 15 years, probably once every one or two times, once every one or two years. Uh, I thought that was a lot, um, but apparently that's pretty average actually for many people moving. So anyway, as someone who has a pretty hopeless sense of direction, I've struggled with this. Uh, I remember, especially when we lived back in Sydney, if you know the streets here are lovely. The streets in Sydney, you've got these nasty one-way tiny little things that you're going to knock into things. So uh, uh, I'd often, I'd find myself driving home, and you know how you go on autopilot when you drive? So I'd often be kind of driving home and just go on autopilot and find myself at somewhere two houses ago, you know, when I go. But eventually I'd wind my way um, back home in the end, this uh, which is good, right? Like you want to make it home when, when, you, when you go away. It's, it's, it's a pattern of our life. But it's not just actually a pattern of our lives. It's a pattern that you see all through the Bible, actually, this theme. You, so you get characters like in the Old Testament, like Jacob. I've got a Jacob at the back. Uh, uh, Jacob in the Old Testament who flees his home uh, only to come back later on. He flees his wild, hairy brother Esau. Not sure that can uh, apply to our Jacob. Uh, but he flees his older, hairy brother Esau and only to return a couple of years later. 
Um, or down the track in the story, Jacob's whole family leave the land that God had given them, the, the land of their, uh, that God had given them to, go to, to live in Egypt. And they, and of course, you know the story, they come back. They come back many years later in the Exodus. Uh, or even later on, you read through the Bible story, the people of Jerusalem are led away from their home to exile, only to return under the Persian king Cyrus. It's not just, though, these individual stories. You see this kind of theme throughout the whole Bible. It's not just the individual stories. It's actually a pattern, uh, this pattern of going away and coming home. It really describes the whole story of the Bible. The whole story of the Bible. The entire human race has gone away. Has gone away from God. And his great plan... His great plan, the, 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 the focus and theme of the whole Bible, is to bring them back, to save them, to save his people, his chosen people, through Jesus. Um, uh, then if you can flick to the next slide. Uh, if you're at the God's Big Picture course we ran, kind of going through the, the story of the whole Bible, these kinds of things will be pretty familiar. This whole story of God bringing his people back and when you get to Ruth, when you get to this book of Ruth that we're starting to read today, what you see is another one of these leaving and returning stories, a little story within this bigger story, within this greater story. And you, you read at the start of the chapter, if you read it, we read, uh, it was set in the days when the judges ruled. Now, we read through Judges together last year, if you're with us, we read to this wild, crazy book of Judges. Um, uh, and so if you, if you were here last year, if you're familiar with Judges, you'll know that this time of the Judges is not a particularly happy one for God's people. If you flick to the next slide, uh, this period of the Judges, um, after God's people had sort of gone away and come back to the land that God had promised them, this period of Judges before the Kingdom of Israel set up, Throughout this whole time, if you remember when we did it, uh, the people had this cycle. It wasn't, throughout the whole period of the judges, there was their, they had their own cycle of kind of leaving and returning through this period of the judges, a spiritual leaving and returning. If you flick the next couple of slides as we go through, uh, this will be familiar if you were here last year. So this, in the book of Judges, there's this cycle. Israel forsakes Yahweh and they worship the gods of the people around them. And then next, Yahweh hands Israel over to their enemies. Next, the Israelites are in great distress and they cry out to God. And then uh, God raises a judge who delivers them and brings peace. Uh, but the tragedy of the book of Judges is this cycle just keeps going on and on and on. And in fact, it's not just a cycle going around. If you go to the next slide, it's more like this spiral going down and down and down. Things are getting worse and worse through this period, this time of the Judges. And the summary statement of that time, of the judges, you'll come up on the screen the next slide. The summary statement, if you remember, in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone saw as, did as they saw fit. So it's a really dark time in the Bible's story where Ruth is set, this book. It's a dark time for, the, for Israel as a people. But the reason I want to paint that kind of background to this book is if you've read Ruth before, you'll know it is just such a beautiful story. It's an intimate and touching story. 
And it's set within the darkest and wildest and most chaotic time of the people of Israel turning away from God. This story of Ruth is an intimate look at how God was powerfully at work throughout this period of the judges. The background is bleak, but God is sovereignly working to bring about his plans, to bring his people back to himself. His plan to bring eventually all people from every nation back to himself through Abraham's family, through Israel, through the one man, Jesus Christ, the true Israelite. But by the end of the book, uh, we'll see how, uh, how God's work how God's work through Ruth, this book of Ruth, how God kind of works through this one person's story. We'll see how that plugs into this great story, the biggest story of what God is doing in his salvation. All right, if you have your hands out, there is a bit of an outline that may help you if you like that sort of thing. We'll work through that. And if you see there, the story begins. We're going to dive into this great story, the first chapter of Ruth. Uh, and the story begins, we, we, we're told in the days the judges ruled, uh, there's a famine in the land. Um, and uh, as you read on, and we saw it before, poorly acted, uh, well, not poorly by me, wonderfully acted by Miriam, uh, and, uh, uh, great, um, and read out for us by Jim, this story uh, that you're, you'll be familiar with now. We're told there's a famine in the land. And the story begins with really a sensible decision. Right? It's a sensible decision these guys make. Um, when I hear the word famine, I think they've run out of wheat bix at Woolies. Right? Um, it, but uh, well, it's kind of hard for us to, to get behind how serious this would have been when we're told there was a famine in the land. A famine really meant a good chance of starving. Uh, not just you starving, but your kids starving, your grandkids starving. Uh, and uh, uh, so times are desperate here. And then this man, Elimelech, and his wife, Naomi, and their sons pack up and they leave home. They're refugees looking for a place where they can just get some food. And it makes sense, right? But it's one of those decisions that you can see is a sensible decision, but it ends in great tragedy. It's a sensible decision, but it's also a tragic one. I mean, as you just read through the story, you'll get that sense. You, you know what happens, right? Elimelech dies. Naomi's two sons, Marlon and Killian, die. Uh, Naomi's left without a husband or sons. And in those days, there's no Centrelink. Uh, there's, no, uh, there's no Centrelink. Uh, there's no one to help her survive. She's on her own, and she's in real trouble. So... The decision to leave ends up being really tragic. But there's a deeper tragedy, actually, in all of this. There's hints all the way through that this isn't the way things are supposed to be. You see, we hear of a family leaving their home in Israel, and, well, maybe this is just me, but I kind of think, well, good on them, you know, big deal. <laughs> They're leaving their place. Uh, it's a little sad they have to leave the home they grew up in, but one place is as good as another, Right? One place as good as any other, and whether they're living here or there, it's not, not a big deal. At least they've got some food to eat. We kind of think like that. And for us, there's something right about that, actually. This side of Jesus, the land of Israel no longer has theological significance. Jesus is the new and greater Israel, the new temple, the, the true place of God's blessing. 
his presence. Um, so for us, kind of land in this way doesn't rightly, it doesn't have the same kind of weight. But at this point in the Bible story, where we are with Ruth, things were totally different. The land of Israel was incredibly important. The land itself. Uh, it was the land promised by God to his people. The land where God would set up Abraham's family as a nation and through that family would bless the whole world, would reverse the curse of the fall, would bring the, the great, um, eventually would uh, uh, end with the great son of Abraham, Jesus himself. It was no small thing, actually, for Elimelech to pack up his family and leave the land of Israel. And for all we can sympathise with them, and you, know, you can kind of understand the sensible decision. Uh, for all we sympathise with this family leaving, there's another level that where we, we just know and we should be saying, that's not right. Um, you know what Elimelech's name means? Elimelech, Elimelech, it's a bit of a tongue twister if you say it too quickly. Elimelech's name means, my God is king. My God is king. But if you get a sense for how significant the land was for, in this point, uh, you'll see that the man named My God is King has actually left his God. He's left his God's people, his God's place. Uh, and he takes his family to Moab. Uh, he takes it to Moab. Mo now, Moab was the great enemy of God's people. It, he, it turns up in Judges. Um, the people of Israel had been enslaved by Moab for 18 years. You read about it in Judges 3, that great story of Eglon, uh, the king of Moab, and Ehud, the left-handed judge who hides a sword on his right side and it gets pretty gory, if you know the story. Um, the great king Eglon. Read it later. It's a good story. Um, but you get the, you get the, the picture, right? They, they, Elimelech is taking his family uh, to a place... We're, we're away from God's place, away from God himself, and away into enemy country. So by the end of verse 5, it's a really desperate situation. Naomi, Naomi has gone from a full family to emptiness. She's away from God and his people and his place. We find out later that she's an older woman. She's too old to, have, uh, to get married and have more kids. And it's basically hard to imagine how much bleaker the situation could have been for Naomi. Um, but of course, as empty and alone as she feels, the, the great and the wonderful story of Ruth is that she's not alone. She's, God is going to fill her up, fill up her emptiness in an incredible way. What we're going to do now, uh, as we kind of go through, we heard the rest of the chapter read out, so you, I'm assuming we're kind of familiar with bits of the story. Uh, Naomi sort of tries to, they all start going back, and Naomi stops and sends, tries to send the daughters-in-law back. Ruth clings to her, Orpah goes away, and Ruth and Naomi end up trudging off to, back to Bethlehem. What we're going to do now is just take a bit of a look at each, uh, three of the characters through the story. Three of the characters through the story. Uh, I think what we're going to do, uh, I, I, I'm hopeful under God that that will be a really great way to get into this chapter and see some very, very important things for us. So uh, we're going to look, take a bit of a look at the three main characters. And you can see in your outline there, if you've got it there, uh, the first one is Naomi herself. 
she's a really confusing character. I've had a couple of conversations with people through the week as we've been reading this in home groups and trying to figure out what's going on in this story. Um, is she, uh, she, uh, what's going on with Naomi? Is she a model of faithfulness? Right? It wasn't her fault. She was probably taken away um, uh, in the sense that she, it was a Limelech's decision to, to head off. Uh, you, you have real empathy for her. Is she a model of faithfulness? Or on the other hand, is she, is she just bitter and blind? And um, Well, the, in the face of all the tragedies she faces, it is important to say that Naomi does keep her faith in God. She does. She keeps her faith in God. You see that um, some verses will come up. Verse 6, she hears of God's aid to his people. And she returns. She goes back. Do you notice what it says there? What causes her to return to her people is not firstly that, there was a, that she's hungry or she's de- desperate. What causes her to return is that she hears about something God has done. She hears good news of God's salvation. Verse 8, it goes on. You, you read in verse 8, she blesses her daughters-in-law. She asks that God will be kind to them as they keep going. Uh, so she does kind of show this faith in God. At the end of the chapter, verse 21, um, she acknowledges God's sovereignty. Uh, if that's going to come up on the screen. Verse 21, we'll see if that makes its way up. She acknowledges God's sovereignty. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. You know, on one level, uh, we'll say a bit more about that later, but you see, at least she's acknowledging God's... She doesn't have a sentimental kind of theology, right? She doesn't have a Santa Claus God. She knows God as the sovereign one, the almighty, who is personally working in all things. And yet, for all of that, the big impression you get of Naomi through this chapter, by the end of the chapter, is one of bitterness and brokenness. One of bitterness. She has faith in God. She knows him as the Almighty. But she can't see any goodness in God for herself. She has become bitter. God's sovereignty for Naomi is a cold and terrible thing, an embittering thing. Uh, we've just finished reading through Romans 1 to 8 together, and the great, one of the great high points of that is, of course, chapter 8. And the great verse in chapter 8, verse 28, God works in all things for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. Naomi sees God working in all things, but she can't see and she doesn't trust that God is working for good in all things. So it's no wonder that she doesn't want her daughters-in-law to come back with her. Is it to live with this God and his people? And verse 15, if that can come up, verse 15, she sent, do you notice in verse 15, she sends them back. She wants her daughters, daughters-in-law to go back to Moab and at this point, kind of realising what Moab means, um, it's not just another place, it's another place under really cruel and terrible idols. Uh, she sends her daughters back. Uh, she sends them back to their gods in verse 15, to the horrible gods of Moab. 
Uh, it might be that her bitterness and depression has just kind of narrowed her vision in. Yeah, that can happen sometimes. Bitterness and depression has just kind of narrowed her vision in so that she can't think about other people uh, of their good. Perhaps she just doesn't think, have much expectation of God in the end, of Israel's God. Even though he is the true sovereign creator and Lord, Naomi's bitterness stops her from seeking to bring other people to God, other people to this God. But you notice with Naomi, it's not just that she's bitter, she's blind as well. Right down the end of the chapter, she says to the women there in verse 20, as she goes back and she talks to the women in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi, if you'll see a footnote in your Bible, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara, you see in your footnote, means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What do you make of Naomi, friends? I mean, we know we shouldn't be too harsh on her. I, can ima- I, can't, imagine, I can't imagine her grief, right, and the pain that she's going through. But in her bitterness, she has become blind. It's simply not true that she has come back empty. Do you see that? It's simply not true that she has come back empty. She has Ruth, and presumably Ruth is standing right next to her when she says, I have come back empty. She has this wonderful daughter-in-law, Ruth, standing right there. So, so friends, which is it, this character of Naomi? Is she faithful or is she bitter? And of course the answer is yes. Naomi is as complex as you and I are. She's both a victim of tragic circumstances and also responsible for the way in which she reacts to them. And by the end of the chapter, you get the sense for Naomi, her faith is just hanging on by a thread. And here's the good news for Naomi, friends. We'll move on to Ruth in in a second, but here's the good news for Naomi. God's kindness is more deep and persistent than she can imagine. Not even her bitterness and her blindness can stop it. Naomi is in for a surprise as we read on. A wonderful surprise. But what about Ruth? Naomi is kind of the focus of this chapter. Um, Ruth comes more to the forefront in the next couple of chapters. But she's just, I mean, she's just remarkable here, right? And she stands out, this character of Ruth. Ruth, the Moabite... Uh, shows in the end more faith in the God of Israel than Naomi the Israelite. And you get that in verse 15, this incredible speech. Uh, from verse 15 on, uh, Naomi says, Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, 
She stopped urging her. See, Ruth, whether, whether it's through kind of hearing about this God, Yahweh, this God's kindness and power, whether she heard it through her husband or maybe even from, through Naomi herself, Ruth knows she can't go back to the idols of Moab. She can't go back to her old ways, the cruel idols of her past that aren't real gods at all. She's, she's heard of Yahweh. She's come to know the Lord. And she's determined to go with Naomi, both because of her love for Naomi, her commitment to Naomi, but also because she's determined to join with Naomi and her people and her God. More on Ruth later on, friends, but the, uh, the third main character here is God himself. But you might struggle to find him, if you're kind of reading through. You might struggle to find... The, the writer puts this story of Ruth together in this really subtle, amazing way. Uh, we talked about Judges before, right? It's in contrast to Judges. In the book of Judges, God's all the way through it. Like he's, he's judging, he's acting, he's speaking, he's saving. He's through it in an active kind of way. But in Ruth, when you get to this, this story, you don't really see God directly acting in the story itself at all. Uh, you, you hear of him in verse 6, coming to the aid of his people. And through the chapter, people pray to him. But you don't see God himself as a kind of actor in the story very much, as a direct kind of actor. Um, but the writer puts this whole story together in this really beautiful way, in this neat way that you're, you're not left with any doubt about the reality that God is actually the main character here. He's the one who's acting. He's the one who's working, weaving his story and bringing about his plans he is sovereign over it all. His sovereignty doesn't make all these people puppets, right? They really act and they really are responsible, but in a wonderful and mysterious way, it all comes together under what God is doing. And the way you see that is through, through the book of Ruth, through these series of coincidences, kind of random stuff that happens, that you read the book and you think, ah, oh, that doesn't really sound so random. Uh, events that kind of seem random, but... Uh, you get a couple of these through the chapter, um, but keep your eye out for it as you read through Ruth, these seeming coincidences as you, as you read through. Uh, at the end of the chapter, or uh, in this chapter, sorry, uh, it's at the moment of her emptiness, right? This moment of her utter desperation and emptiness, she hears news about what God has done back at Bethlehem. And then when they arrive in Bethlehem, these two broken women, they're kind of like battered ships limping into harbour. It just happens to be at the beginning of the barley harvest. You read that right at the end of this chapter, this little glimmer of hope. There's a kind of hidden sovereignty in all of this. A sovereignty that you don't see when you're in the middle of it, when you're in the thick of it. But you see it when you look back, right, in retrospect, and you see how God was weaving all these things together. And what this hidden sovereignty, friends, shows about God's character is stunning, and it is really at the heart of the book of Ruth. And what, what is driving God in his sovereign plan is his heart of welcoming kindness. God is ordering these events. Once you have that perspective in mind, you see how incredible that is. 
He's ordering these events to bring a Moabite, someone from God's, the people who were enemies of God's, to bring a foreign enemy into his people, into God's family. Not just into God's family, but as we're going to read on later, in the direct line of great King David and eventually of Jesus himself. He's weaving this story to bring a bitter woman who doesn't expect much from him, who went away from him and his people. He's, the Almighty God is weaving this story of this woman who sees him as almighty, but not necessarily as good. The Almighty God is weaving this story to bring this bitter and blind Naomi back to himself. He persists in his welcoming kindness with Naomi, even when you read through and you can see her own faith is just hanging by a thread. Friends, Ruth chapter 1 is just a beginning. It's just a kind of taste of what sets up what is to come. So I hope you're ready to come back next week for a great second chapter. But once you see God at work through this chapter, once you see his heart of welcoming kindness to wayward daughters and sons. Uh, maybe to those who have become bitter and weak in their faith. Those who might have left God's people for years. Once you see his heart of welcoming kindness to outsiders like Ruth, who have lived their lives worshipping the idols of our world. <laughs> Right? People who have lived their lives worshipping the idols of themselves, the idols of sex or money or power or work or whatever it is that captivates our hearts these days and that we worship. Once you see God's welcoming heart of kindness even to people who've lived their whole lives in Moab, it's not hard, friends, to see how Ruth 1 can hit home for us. The South Coast is full of Naomi's and Ruth's. We have news to tell that the Lord has come to the aid of his people. The Lord has come to the aid of his people in an infinitely fuller and more wonderful way than Naomi ever heard. The gospel we have proclaims the news that through Jesus, God welcomes prodigals home. The news that your, even the news that your history isn't an issue, right? You can be a Moabite and still come in. The news that even your bitterness, even your frailty, won't stop God's welcoming kindness. Friends, this is incredible news. And without it, people will stay in Moab, enslaved to false idols that can't deliver and under God's judgment. Well, it doesn't just... I mean, that order kind of spur us on, shouldn't it? Uh, with the people in our Moab, in our culture around us. It doesn't just hit home for us in evangelism, though, right? Uh, it's critical for each, each Christian to hear... And remember this reality. You, friends, may have times of bitterness. You, times you go away. You might be in them right now. Uh, you might have been in them. The God of Ruth 1, the God of the gospel of Jesus Christ, calls you home. 
and he will always call you home. Even your sin and your bitterness won't change that. So don't stay away. Don't stay away. This is so important, especially, friends, especially when you sin. Uh, when you do, you'll hear a voice saying, don't go back, right? It's too shameful. Don't go back. God doesn't want you back. You're too bad. You're too bitter. Why would he welcome you back? Friends, that voice is a lie. And if you know the God of Ruth 1, the God who orders things to bring back bitter people, broken Israelite people, to bring back, to bring to himself Moabite idol worshippers. If you know that God, you'll see how much that voice that says, don't go back, you'll see how much that is just a lie. Just come back. Especially when you sin. Come back. And I'm going to leave us with a... Um, really famous, well-known quote from uh, a guy called Augustine. He was a really great figure in the church history in the 5th century. He wrote this book called His Confessions, which is kind of like his own story of coming back to God. Uh, a really famous quote, really sums up um, a lot of what we're talking about. Augustine writes in this, his own confession of coming back to God. He says about, he prays to God, God you have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You have formed us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. The wonderful news of the gospel, the wonderful news that Ruth 1 kind of opens up for us as we get to know the God of Ruth 1 uh, is that this God welcomes you back and will always do so and welcomes Moabites back to find their rest in him. I'm going to read more about how that happens. It's a really gripping story as we go. I'm going to pray for us though as we finish. Father, please take your word in Ruth 1 and plant it deeply in our hearts. Father, we pray for the many thousands of people across the south coast who are living enslaved to idols, uh, who are living far from you, who have gone away from you. Father, open us up to your heart of welcoming kindness. May we have that same heart to our friends and family and neighbours. Uh, Father, for ourselves as well, those who call Jesus Lord here today, uh, Father, help us to not buy into that lie that says that you won't welcome us back. And may we know the reality of the grace of the gospel. Uh, may we always return to you where we find our rest. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.